This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Eric Norman. Hey, Eric. Hello. How are you? Good. Uh, so why don't you start by uh, telling me about what LispCast, or Purely Functional TV, is? Which, which of those is, what's, which is which? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So LispCast is really uh, where I post articles and stuff. Um, and I try to identify Lispcast with me. Okay. Um, so I'm Lispcast. Okay. But it's also like this umbrella company for all the other stuff I do. Gotcha. Uh, and purelyfunctional.tv, uh, it's, it's courses and a, a mentoring program um, for teaching functional programming, including the Lispcast branded stuff. Hmm. So I, I had this idea at one point, and I still want to pursue it. It's just too early right now mm-hmm. um, to have other people make videos in other languages. And so it'll be like an empire yeah. of, of uh, other, other courses and stuff. Okay. So purelyfunctional.tv is, is mostly teaching closure stuff, yes? Is that true? Yep. Right now, that's what it's got. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's uh, five longer courses, mm-hmm. uh, and I've just started an online mentoring program where it's about once a week I publish a, a shorter course and I'm getting lots of great feedback from members that are requesting and asking questions. Mm-hmm. And so I can tune the courses much faster than I was doing before. Hmm. Are you familiar with Brennan Dunn? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has some mm-hmm. great writings on how to do these those type of courses. Okay, I should check those out. I'm, I'm familiar with his freelancing stuff. Yep, at least I know he's doing a lot of them. I assume he's been writing also about how to do them because that's definitely his style. Um, I actually haven't seen it explicitly, I suppose. But you could even just uh, watch what he's doing and model him would probably be a useful technique. Yeah, for sure. I'm always on the lookout for other business tips and stuff. Yeah, so so Purely Functional TV, Lispcast, this is your, your main gig or is this a side hustle? Um, at the moment, it's a side hustle. Okay. Uh, I am working on a step-by-step plan to get it <laughs> to be a full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's going to be a ways away. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've struggled with um, when it comes to having these side businesses that are related to teaching is you kind of need to keep doing the work in order to keep teaching the stuff, I think. For sure. You agree with For that? Sure. And uh, it was actually a kind of a problem. A problem is a good word. But uh, when I was started Lispcast, I was working in Haskell, mm, mm-hmm. and so um, I wasn't too fresh from you know my day job. So I actually had to kind of work it back up to be able to teach the the stuff. So mm-hmm. this is actually perfect. So you have Closure and Haskell experience, then? Yep, yep. I've worked in Haskell for uh, over two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, professionally. Excellent. So, I mean, so I, I talk back and forth with uh, Joe Ferris, who's our CTO here, uh, and he is a big Haskell fan. I also like, I also like Haskell, although I have less experience there. Uh, I'm a pretty strong proponent of Closure as well. Closure excites Joe less because he is a huge believer in the Haskell type system. 
uh, and the power of that and its ability to prevent bugs. How would you compare and con- contrast working in Clojure versus working in Haskell? Like, what do you miss when you're in, in one of them or the other? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm glad you didn't pit the two against each other because they're <laughs> both really great languages. Mm-hmm. They're very well designed. The thing that I miss when I'm in Clojure is the compiler, the Haskell compiler, forces you to be very systematic. Hmm. You know, you always have to be thinking about what type do I have? Is this the right type that I need right now? And you don't have that in Clojure. Mm-hmm. Um, in Clojure, you can just play loose with the types and pass anything around, which sometimes feels very nice because sometimes in, in Haskell, you'd make a mistake and you'd, you'd use the wrong type. And so you'd get you know, three or four function calls in and you realize, oh, this is wrong. I wish I could put a string here. Mm-hmm. And in Clojure, you can just do that. Mm-hmm. And I actually noticed that quite a bit. Um, I pair a lot in my day job. And I see that a lot where people are just not systematic enough with their, with their thinking. Because that, that, I think that's the, the main distinction is in, in Clojure, you can be loose and sometimes that's really dangerous, but sometimes it's just what you need because hmm. the type would be more complicated than the code. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's, I guess, my main criticism of the Haskell type system is often to do what you need to do, well, you, you need a lot of type. Hmm. <laughs> you need to express this really well. And you, you don't need to do that in Clojure. You can keep it in your head, basically. There's a type, but it's just in your head. Hmm. But then sometimes, oh, a type is perfect, mm-hmm. right? Having a discriminated union, right? Like a variant, like several cases, and each case has different data. I mean, that's perfect for a lot of problems. And in, in Clojure, you don't have it. You just use a hash map, mm-hmm. and you deal with the, the sort of mismatch. Yeah. It seems like there are certain things in Clojure, uh, like uh, prismatic schema, uh, which is kind of like, uh, it would be nice if we had types-ish on this data. Or core.typed, of course. Yeah, and so, yeah, the schema is really interesting. We use it, and I, I like it. It's runtime, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's obviously a cost for checking that your data is correct. Mm-hmm. And so they even have a system for, like, turning it on during your tests hmm. and then turning it off at runtime. Huh, okay. Or, you know, in production. Yep. And um, I think that's interesting. Uh, I like that you can test stuff in schema that you can't build a type in Haskell for, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because it, you have all full runtime information. So often you want to know not only is this a string, but does it match a certain regex, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, which you can't do in the Haskell type system. Mm. Do you feel like uh, the Haskell type system lets you write fewer tests? No. I mean, uh, the, the simple answer is no, but I was trying to think of why. Mm. Um, I guess because I normally don't write a bunch of tests for all the cases that I don't expect to ever happen okay. in Clojure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean like type. See, this is, this is where it starts to get fuzzy, right? Because a, a Haskell person would just automatically call it a type error. Hmm. Whereas in Clojure, it's not a type error. It's a data error. Like it's the wrong data. You have the wrong input. And so you test your corner cases and everything, but then you don't test like, oh, what if someone passes in a Java util calendar? 
Like right. you don't test that. Yeah. And you don't. You know. You you don't need to test that. And also, I even have an article about this. Um, it's about nil punning, right? Mm-hmm. So, with the nil punning, if your system is designed well, and I think closure is, the nils kind of work with with the way everything else works. So the nils get threaded through everything, and it's not a problem. Hmm. Whereas, you know, in other languages, well, you do need a test. What if someone passes in a null, right, to your to your JavaScript, for instance, you mm-hmm. need a test. So a well-designed language with certain kinds of punning and stuff like that, maybe you don't need so many unit tests. Hmm. So do you do like test-driven development then in either of those languages? Um, I do, yeah. I, I like TDD, yeah. I use a lot of generative tests too in both languages. Yeah, I want to talk about that. For me, I, I also do TDD, and so I'm writing a lot of test code a lot of the time. And I would love, a lot of the times I'm writing unit tests that feel a bit mechanical. Uh, and it makes me feel like, okay, if they're, like, there should be a way to have a computer do this for me. For sure. Which sort of feels like the type system in Haskell. It's like, this is kind of what I want, which is like, I want confidence that my code works. I want confidence that I haven't forgotten things. Right. I want to poke at it in certain ways and have it uh, respond correctly. And so my hope is that, like, the type system is good enough or like can become good enough that one day I'll write almost no tests or write almost no unit tests and just write a lot of uh, integration type acceptance tests? Yeah, uh, and I, I think I've said this before in other places, but that I think that typing, you know, static typing, strong typing is, is going to be the future. Hmm. I just, in some ways, I feel like it's not there yet. There mm. are things in enclosure that I do that I wish I could express in a type. Mm. And then you've also got this trade-off. Um, you know, you're talking about wanting the type system to handle it. And you can often make a type that um, does exactly what you want. For instance, you could make a non-empty list, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you try to take the first element of an empty list, that's an error in Haskell. Mm-hmm. So you could make a a type that contains a list, but the constructor throws the error when you make it and it's empty, right? Mm-hmm. When you try, you pass it a list, and if it's empty, it throws the error. So it throws it when you construct it way back, like at the beginning. Yep. And so then you can be guaranteed later on that it's got elements in it. Okay. So you can do all these things, like I think. We had a, a type in my the Haskell company I worked for that was an email address. It was a string, but it was wrapped up in this type. Mm-hmm. And when you constructed it, it did a regex on it to make sure it looked like an email address. And it also like lowercased it and everything, normalized it. So the problem, the, the trade-off is that you've got all of these types and you know, could you have just gotten away with the unit test? Right, so you're writing the type is you know sometimes non-trivial hmm. to uh, amount of code, and the test is an amount of code too. So there, there's often a trade-off. So the, so so to you, it's it's not there yet. Like it could be one day we have a type system that's good enough that you feel more confident without writing tests, but you don't you don't have that confidence yet, or you you feel like the trade-off is maybe not quite in that favor yet. Um, well, okay, so it's, it's way more complicated than that, uh, you know, because we're comparing Haskell and Clojure, 
and uh, well, well, not, necess- uh, not necessarily. Like considering okay. just Haskell in isolation. Like if if I want to write fewer unit tests, can I just write Haskell and and then have more confidence that my code works and thus move faster because I don't have to spend time writing those tests? I think if you spent a lot of time, maybe, and this is this is the trade off. Maybe an equivalent amount of time getting your types exactly right. Mm-hmm. Then yes, you could do that, and you would be dealing with all these little corner cases, right? Like empty string. Well, I don't want empty string in my title. I want to disallow that, so I'm going to have to make a new type for it. Hmm. And you know, for instance, if you went to something like Idris that has uh, dependent types, you would be able to say that in the type, but you can't say that in a Haskell type. So, so then you have this like aggregation of more and more types. And they don't compose that well. So to have an, a non-empty string that only contains the character A, right? only A's, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that's, two, that's, that's like four new types, right? You have an empty string, uh, uh, you have the string, now you have a, a type that doesn't allow empty strings. Mm-hmm. You have a type that is only A's but maybe has empty strings. And then you need another one that's, non-empty A's, right? So it, they, they don't compose too well and you just, so you want to stick with just regular strings. Hmm. You want to stick, and, and so then you, you still have to do your, your unit tests. Mm-hmm. So that, those, those are the kinds of things that, you know, you get into when you're, when you're programming Haskell, like real world stuff. It's like, oh, I'd rather just deal with it at runtime, like check at runtime if it's empty. Hmm. Any other stuff that you notice you miss when you're using one or the other? Well, when I was using Haskell, I really missed the number of Java libraries mm. that are that were available in Clojure. There's a lot of Haskell libraries, but they're of varying quality. I mean, this and also I should say this was like three years ago that mm-hmm. I stopped working in Haskell, so think a lot of stuff could change in three years. But sure, no, for sure, I had a lot of trouble finding libraries that that I needed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Have you done much Ruby work? Nope, never. Okay, no Ruby. Not even what is the like Rails start or something like just make a Rails app. Yeah, Rails new. Yeah, ah, Rails new. See, I don't even know. Gotcha. Uh, is your day job Haskell now, or is it Closure now, or Closure? Okay. Yeah, we have Closure on the on the back end, Closure script on the front end. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, is how is that having the the same in the front and the back? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's so <laughs> the the whole same same like it's not really that it's that it's a nice language on the front and a nice language yeah, on the yeah, back. Yeah. Um, I mean, we do communicate like closure data structures between them, mm-hmm. but that that's not the big deal. Like, I know a lot of people talk about oh, JavaScript on the front end, JavaScript on the back end, it's the same, and so you get some advantage there, right? But uh, you know, you're in, you're still in JavaScript. I, I think that's the the biggest problem yeah not that there's anything well let me say that how do i say it javascript is there's a lot of great stuff in javascript but it doesn't have a lot of the modern amenities you'd want from a language today mm-hmm. let's just say it that way sure it's very diplomatic of you yeah thank you i have to be I have to be small business owner trying to attract a bunch of people yeah, exactly. You don't, I don't, you don't wanna... have the lawyers to fight all these uh, lawsuits off for libel. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard people turned away because someone makes a joke about a language, and they're like, "Well, what's wrong with it? I program in that language." Yeah. 
it's you know the joke had a lot of complex nuances behind it a lot of totally and, and but it just sounded like an insulting remark so yep definitely and i'm, I'm trying to do more to like talk about the thing the positive things that i like as opposed to like bash the things i don't like as much yeah for sure uh, i mean another example is when i stopped at this the haskell job which i i learned a lot like i'm I'm going to quote myself, but I was really down on Haskell. I was really down on static typing. Mm. And it took me a while of talking to people who were into it. I mean, really, it was piecing apart. Is it Haskell? Is it typing? Is it the way we coded at the company? Mm Because that was like my first real exposure to professional Haskell. Like, I, I started to piece apart, oh, that's not how other people do it. And, oh, that... That's not the only way you can do typing. And, you know, Haskell by itself is actually okay. And so it's like just trying to find the, the borders between what I knew of Haskell and what was possible in Haskell versus, you know, the realities of Haskell. You know, it's all, it's, all, it's all there, all separated out now. So I feel good about Haskell again. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about purely functional TV. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, how is that going as a business? Is it, do you feel like, is it growing at a rate that you're happy with? Of course not. I mean, <laughs> how, <laughs> how could it? Uh-huh. I mean, no, it, it's growing, and I'm on some kind of track. I'm not on the track I want to be. I, I would like it to grow faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started this online mentoring program, mm-hmm. and I'm moving from a sort of buy each course separately approach to. Um, all-you-can-eat subscription model. Mm-hmm. And the real reason behind that uh, was that it would take me months to get a course out. Yep. And during that time, I was not engaging with, with people, right? So yeah. it would just be like me making material and, and refining it and refining it and finding you know two hours here, two hours there to make some progress. And all that time, I had all this material that I just couldn't get out there. Mm -hmm. And so I finally said, you know, this isn't getting any faster. I got it down to like three months, but that's still a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not getting any faster. I would rather be able to make a 10-minute video, you know, even if it's imperfect, Mm -hmm. and get it in people's hands. They can watch it. They can ask questions. They can give me advice. And then I make another one, and mm-hmm. it's another ten minute video. And so one day I was at, I was hanging out with some friends, and they said, you know, oh yeah, I'm really into these like subscription video things. And I thought about it, and I said, I'm going to go home right now and try it out. I'm going to do one mm-hmm. because I was in the middle of this like three or four month long yeah. video production process. I, I actually went home and did it, and two hours later, I had a ten minute video. Mm-hmm. And something that was, you know, good enough to release to the world mm-hmm. versus three or four months of late nights and, yeah. and stuff. And then I have like an hour, an hour and a half of video. Right. And no feedback in between. Right. right totally. Yeah. Once I realized that, I finished up that other video and I gave myself a little break and then I started it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. how, how long has that, have you been running that? Uh, one month. Okay. So it's not even like a whole cycle of you know subscription and 
cancellation and all that. So I don't even know how well it's doing really. Mm -hmm. Like how, I mean, I know I've gotten nothing but positive feedback, so that's good. I'm also very lucky. I have a lot of people who, who just want to see it exist, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, so they're, they're willing to, to fund it, even if they're not interested for themselves. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the closure educational resources uh, market is very saturated, I would say. No, um, there's plenty of room. So if anybody else is out there who wants to get in on this, I mean, I think now is the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you knew this, but I the first video I did was a Kickstarter. Yeah, I think I did see that one when you launched it. Yeah, that was back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and my initial idea was to do it for like $50,000 and quit my job. Okay. And, do it full time and it would be it would it was going to be longer than it turned out to be so it's going to be like 10 hours or something and they would be released over the course of a year and i would have that fifty thousand dollars to burn right um but then my friend convinced me that's too big wouldn't you be satisfied if you could do like two hours for three thousand dollars and i Hmm. said yeah i guess i would be Hmm. and so you know, he said, don't risk it because there's so many people who start a Kickstarter and it's too big and they don't have the audience or whatever. Hmm. So uh, that's what I did. I did a $3,000 Kickstarter and for one video. Interesting. But yeah, you think now is the time is why you're, you're talking well, about. Right. And so, so um, I, when I did that, I, I was watching, you know, I, I also have the Closure Gazette. So I'm like, I have to have my fingers in the, in the I, what do you In the pie? No, there's. No, not in the pie. But <laughs> no, I have to. I have to keep a pulse. There we go. Fingers, oh, fingers on, the on the pulse. pulse. There it is. There it is. Uh, I have to finger keep my in the finger pie on thing? the pulse of what's going on. Crazy. Yeah, the finger. Well, there's a thumb in the pie. Thumb right? in the pie. No, finger in a pie is definitely an idiom. <laughs> Google agrees with me. Yeah. Anyway, keep anyway, going. I started it at that time because I was like, it's now or never. Like mm. things are starting to grow, and of course, they take time to develop. So you have to be in on the stream before, but. I started seeing like another newsletter come around and people publishing like free screencasts and I'm like okay I got to do this before hmm. for for it's too late. Do do you have signs that the closure world is growing? Um you know I did keep track of that for a little bit but I've kind of lost the the habit of it. Um so I don't have anything specific. So no I don't really. Yeah, but but that, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, that's your sense. That's my sense. Um, I know that when I started this uh, online mentoring program, um, you know, I wrote a sales page with copy and stuff. And in the copy, it's the point of the, the online mentoring program is to help programmers become closure professionals. That's like the language I use. Mm-hmm. And once I put that page up and had like got people to sign up, so w- when they sign up for this mailing list, they get sent an email and the email asks a question. Mm-hmm. What are you working on? What obstacles are you dealing with? Um, where do you want to be in 12 months, right? So many people in that, where do you want to be in 12 months, say, I want to be a closure professional. Yeah. I want to have a full-time closure job, something like that. Yep. And there's just the number of emails I get on that. It's amazing. Yeah. I must have like hit a nerve that people want you know, they, they see the cool stuff in Clojure. They, they see the functional programming. They see the immutable data structures. They see the concurrency. And they just want to do it. Yep. They, they believe in it. 
It's interesting to me. So I see that happening in Closure 2, and I think it's it's familiar to me because it looks just like what Ruby used to look like. Huh, interesting. Which is people were fleeing, or, you know, people that were passionate about their tools were leaving other languages because they were inspired by Ruby and, like, how much they liked to use it. Only there weren't enough jobs to, for them to right. get. And right. so early on, there was more demand for the jobs than the jobs existed. Um, and then eventually that shifted. Like Rails kind of came along basically and then flipped that upside down and suddenly uh, there were enough jobs. Huh, interesting. So Rails is what made the jobs? How did that happen? I think, uh, uh, it, I think it made the jobs because suddenly people were using Ruby in a professional way all of a sudden. It was like, hey, we, I think it kind of came down to how good Rails was. It was like, we can build web apps faster than before using this crazy language. It's called Ruby. Don't worry about it. There's this awesome framework called Rails. It's going to make us faster. And that was kind of the, the killer app for Ruby that changed that situation, wow, I think. Really interesting. Like it, it was all these startups were like, I can do this in a weekend on Rails. Yeah, I mean, I think it straight up did improve, like improve development speed. And that's like, and right. if you can do that, then like that's pretty huge. And so yeah. I think Clojure is kind of, it's in its pre-Rails phase right now. It's, it's in the, it feels to me like a little bit like it's in the pre-killer app. I think actually the killer app for Clojure might be Clojure Script. Ah, uh, yeah. Like that might be what does it, is yeah. suddenly like the market is like, you know, 10x or 100x what it was before because suddenly it turns into it compiles into javascript which is a whole different ball game right and it's um it's really i mean i feel like it's leading the way and compiled to javascript languages and yep. like what's possible that it's not just like CoffeeScript is great but it's simply a syntactic transformation right it's right. not adding very much to the language semantically but closure script really is and I don't know if you noticed, uh, there was a video in the, at ClojureCon this year that just came out. And it was talking about how you can do the module splitting. Mm. It's using the Google Clojure compiler. You can split modules uh, just like automatically. You just say, everything that this file needs and requires, put in this one. Everything that uh, this file needs, put in this file. And then all the common stuff, put in this third file. Mm. And so you can split out your code that goes on like your home page that doesn't need all the like the, the stuff that runs your app. It's just the home page stuff. Yep. And then once they log in, they get this other JavaScript that has, you know, the meat of the application. Uh-huh. And so your home page will load really fast and you know, there's no good way to do that in JavaScript. You have to do it manually. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think ClojureScript is an extremely compelling story for if you need a lot of JavaScript, then like just write this instead and life will be better. Yeah, for sure. I, I've actually been waiting for, wow, a couple of years now, like that someone is going to go into one of these big popular hackathons, mm-hmm. like, you know, the ones that you, where you make a website and everyone is like, wow, look at what they made. Yeah. That someone is going to go in with Clojure and ClojureScript and they're just going to rock it. Like, because their productivity will be so much higher, and they'll be working in Ohm or some other React-based system, and they'll mm-hmm. be able to make something so much more interactive than uh, people using straight-up JavaScript. I'm waiting for it to happen. It, it will. Yeah, I mean, it, it it seems like the more compelling technology, and so you would expect to see this happen eventually, or or to see people migrating over there. And like the reason I think Rails did so well is because it was such a, a step up from where people were in oh, terms yeah. of speed. 
so far, I don't get the sense that people are stepping up to the plate or like are like having quite the same experience in like closure slash closure script. It seems so far like it's just like another good option for developing systems, and like people seem to really like it. But it's n- I don't see quite as much pe- people saying like this was like a step change over the past. Do you have that sense? Huh. Interesting. Um, no, I don't. I don't have that sense either. I I feel like it's in it's still in the making, but we don't know what it would look like yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ohm Next is is coming out soon, mm-hmm. and the promises of that are totally simplifying your your application and the communication with the back end. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that happen. I I'm still not convinced. I feel like a lot of it. I mean, this is just me speaking with just watching the talks and looking through the tutorial. I have no real experience with it but it looks like a lot of it is just moving the complexity back to the back end hmm. so a lot of the like dispatch of you know where your data comes from is is going to be on the back end but it might be pluggable so you can say here's the datomic back end uh, piece and it just works and here's the postgres piece and it just works it might be that simple mm-hmm. um but because when you have these like large single page apps you're doing a lot of dispatch on the front end, like a, this AJAX call and this AJAX call. And so all the logic is like in the front end. Mm-hmm. But if you move that to the back end and you just said, well, this is the data I need, the back end is going to find it for me. Mm-hmm. You are moving it to the back end, but it, it might be simpler than, than I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm very bullish on Clojure and Clojure Script. Like, I think they have a really good future, and I think they're really compelling. But I feel like they are. We're still, we still want the that like. There was a famous presentation uh, where the creator of Rails uh, demonstrated, you know, making a blog in 15 minutes or something like that. Sure. And I feel like there's not quite that for Clojure yet. Well, yeah, um, I I I was really impressed when I saw that uh, video, and. I think it changed the world, really. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, you know, making a blog was like four weeks, you know, <laughs> something like it was like a week, week-long project, and he did it in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and he changed the world. He made it like, this is what you should be able to do in 15 minutes. You mm-hmm. already know how it works. You just want to get started with it. I mean, but to be fair now, other systems have caught up with that. Right. I could write a blog in Clojure and script in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm without a lot of scaffolding. So I don't know if there's going to be another step change. Like it's not it's obviously not going to be write a blog in two minutes. Right. Like it's right. not going to be something yeah. like that where how fast can you write a blog? It's it's going to be something like how fast can you write a scalable Twitter? Right. Mm-hmm. Or something like that where mm-hmm. Like this, this actually took a lot of time to make Twitter scalable. Yeah, it, it could be something like that. Maybe it's something like, how long would it take you to write a game? You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, or or kind of like uh, the one way I could see it happening is like the shape of applications change. Like maybe it's like this sort of like rich client thing, or hopefully not, <laughs> or or something something along those lines where it's like look how fast we can make this new kind of thing, which is better than the old kind of thing. Like, you're right. I think we're not going to do the blog in two minutes, but like, maybe it's not a blog anymore. Maybe it's something else. Right. Maybe it's like Google Docs in in 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Like where you have peer-to-peer communication and, uh, you know, everything is synced up properly and there's no conflicts, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. It'll be interesting. 
Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. So what haven't we covered that we should talk about? I think we talked about everything I wanted to. Uh, the online mentoring program, I certainly want to plug that because mm-hmm. I still need more subscribers, the more the merrier. Yeah, so do you have a URL for us? Uh, yeah, so um, I've been collecting notes here and there uh, during our conversation. You can find it all at lispcast.com slash robots. That's one word, giant robots. And um, I'll have some some goodies there. Excellent. Um, you, you know, one thing I might want to talk about uh, is uh, teaching, technical okay. teaching. Yeah. So, you know, teaching is like what I'm doing now. And I've noticed that a lot of technical teaching is not really teaching. Um, it's more just discourse, like talking about what you know. Hmm. And I, I guess the difference between teaching and just talking about what you know is that when you teach something, you don't expect the learner to have to do as much work, right? So I could talk about what I know. I make like a book, just write everything I know down. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, they have to go off and do a lot of self-study, like interpret what I said and like figure out what I meant and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But with teaching the teacher does a lot more of that work, like breaking it down, um, making the exercises that the person just has to follow so that it's you know automatically learned just by doing the exercises yep. or um, you know good metaphors and visuals and stuff like that. Um, so that's really the kind of stuff I'm trying to focus on. And I feel like it's one of the advantages that, uh, like the competitive advantages that I've got is mm. that I've got, teaching experience yep. and, and I, I, I know how to make these things mm-hmm. and I'd love to get other people doing these things too because mm-hmm. there's so much great stuff out there there's so many smart people with all this knowledge mm-hmm. it'd be really cool if they could share it more easily yeah totally so use your long term dream some sort of platform then yeah I, I, that, that's really long term I try not to think about it too much because uh, it's, it's long long yeah. long term but no, it'd be great. I, I would. Uh, I have. I have a vision of like totally transforming education, but that's that's going to be different. That would be a killer app for closure. Yeah. Right. Right. If closure you, is the answer. To if you if you transform education, then bam, you get some some converts right there. I think. I'm sure. I did it with closure. That's what I'd say. And there you yeah. go. Awesome. I mean, maybe there's something like uh, you know, back to that other topic. You know, WhatsApp done in Erlang mm-hmm. you know that's kind of like a killer app for Erlang is some kind of global communication system yeah but I, I feel like I mean so WhatsApp is probably going to inspire a handful like a, some number of uh, people to try out Erlang and maybe use it for yeah. their next whatever um, but I feel like not a lot of people are writing WhatsApps probably that's true like that's Rail, true. you know Rails was like this is here's a thing that we all are going to do a heck of a lot of in the next decade and it's going to be better than it was Huh, that's that's really interesting. I I hadn't thought of it like that. I was thinking of it more like, uh, you know, expensive problems and how do you solve them, but not super common problems. Mm, yeah, like if you could make a better Excel, for example, like Excel only like ten x better uh-huh. somehow and still usable by normal people. Like that yeah. that to me is the kind of thing that you're gonna like change the world on a scale that Rails was doing. Right. Right. I mean, honestly, I think where closure really shines. So uh, the the last company I worked for, it was a totally new startup. It was in Clojure, and it was two programmers. And 
we were doing so much amazing stuff, hmm. like just the power we were wielding. So at one point, uh, we were on Heroku. Mm-hmm. We had 40 workers controlled from my computer, scraping millions of websites, aggregating all the data, putting it into a database and um, saving the pages for in a search engine. And when you're scraping at that scale, you have to be careful not to take down the server you're scraping, right? Mm. <laughs> so so we, we learned that quickly. Mm-hmm. So it was like we were monitoring the number of 500 errors <laughs> that we were getting from oh each server. And we, we could like lower down the, 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 how much we were hitting that and use those same workers on you know, another website. Mm-hmm. And all of that was just two people. Yeah. And you just couldn't, you couldn't do that in other languages. Yeah. So that means, so that might be enough. Like if it, if it is just more powerful and great to use and you can do these crazy things with small teams, like who cares if there's not a killer yeah. app or like something, if, who cares if it doesn't even get that popular really For sure. aside from libraries, like you need a, sure. a certain amount, but like if it's just this great, awesome tool that only people that are clued in use, then like fine, you know, that's, that's okay. Yeah, and that's that's kind of um, I mean it's kind of where it's positioned now. Actually, when mm-hmm. I think about it, like the the barrier to entry on closure is pretty high. Mm. Um, you know, people talk about the first run experience and how hard it is mm. even to get set up to run your one plus one. <laughs> you know, to to try it out, and uh, I don't I wouldn't say it's done on purpose, but it's certainly not a priority mm. to um, make that better. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see it change. I, I think I remember seeing like some sort of informal poll of people at the closure cons asking like how many of you are working professionally in closure, and that's been going up every year. And that oh, that's nice. that might be the best indicator, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that we're gonna see uh, some of these like you know early startups get successful who have been using closure. Yeah, yeah. And who will talk about how closure was instrumental, right? So yeah. hopefully so. Yeah. And, and and I think if there's a technology like Clojure where a lot of people that are very passionate about their tools and are strong developers are going to, eventually people will start doing things in Clojure to be able to recruit those people. Yeah, like for you sure. basically couldn't hire me to write Ruby at this point. Like I have a ton of Ruby experience and like there's almost no Ruby job where like you would entice me to go write Ruby, I think. But if you're like, you know, we got closure over here, like you could do some fun closure at this thing. It's like that's a whole different kind of compelling. And I think there are a number of people that are in a similar boat. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I've done a, a couple of rounds of hiring and there are so many people who are ready to work in closure, even willing to take like a little pay cut. Yeah. And there's just not enough jobs for yeah. them all. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting problem. There's probably some uh, businesses in that problem right there. Yeah. I, I actually watched a talk as kind of tangential, but I watched a talk that was someone at like a big insurance company. And the talk was about how to bring functional programming and formal methods mm. into these larger enterprises mm-hmm. that already have a stack and they're not going to invest in another language. And his approach was to go ask people, the managers, for the hardest problems. Nice. I like, like you it. Just, you just say, like, what is the thing, like the thorn in your side that you never thought you could get rid of, but you like some old, he actually got some old XML-based system that um, like, it was like a rule engine, but everything was expressed in XML. 
And he just attacked it from all sides with F sharp. And, you know, he was generating C sharp with his F sharp. And, you know, he was having fun. Mm -hmm. He was using functional programming. uh, And he was doing something good for the company. They never thought they could get rid of it. But uh, he was able to attack it with better tools. Mm. So I think there's a lot of room for closure in that kind of system. Yeah, uh, I like that tactic. Go after the hard stuff. Yeah, I never, I never thought of it that way. You know, you always think, oh, get an easy win, get your foot in the door. No, mm-hmm. go after the hardest thing because you've got the biggest, you know, the the sharpest knife. Yeah, just go after the sharp, the hardest problem. Yeah, prove prove the knife is sharp by doing the hard stuff. Exactly. I like exactly. it. Awesome. The stuff they wouldn't give, they they wouldn't care if you failed because oh well, you know, so sure. many people have tried and failed already. Cool. All right, that's a great place to stop. I think. Cool. Awesome. I Thank appreciate you, you coming so on. It's been fun chatting with you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun on this side too. Cool. Let me know if you solve that uh, closure problem for the world and we can all start working in closure full time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on my spare time. Yeah, just tweet spare, it. Just, just tweet about it and uh, I'll be hey, I'll, yeah, I'll retweet it once. Tweet. It's yeah. a concise language. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Awesome. You want to plug that URL uh, before we go? Sure thing. Uh, so if you want more information about uh, Lispcast, purely functional TV, uh, please go to lispcast.com slash giant robots, giant robots, one word, get on the closure gazette, subscribe to that, get on the mailing lists. You'll, you'll see them there and, uh, give me a, a shout out. Send me an email. Awesome. Cool. Today's show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 172. Thanks for listening.